0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 383rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that leaves our hearts in your shopping cart. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Oko Assassin, Derek is back joining us while Cliff is on vacation, and we are here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey
1: everyone, glad to be back. Uh, It's only been a few weeks this time, so a little less to share, but uh, big life developments. I'm still playing Magic and still slinging cards, so... Uh, Looking forward to the conversation. Uh, As a reminder, everyone, this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance
0: is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast Alrighty, so before we get into our usual stuff this week, I think I need to kick things off uh, with an apology to the entire MDG Finance and Magic community based on a, a fairly major mistake I made in pricing a card this weekend. So what had happened was, let me start at the start. A few weeks ago, Cliff and I were running the numbers on foil extended art cards from the Lord of the Rings set. And it became quickly obvious that because those cards were only available in the pre-con packs and not where they would normally be found in slots in the collector boosters, they were going to be much more rare than people have become accustomed to. And since certain pretty key cards, like the One Ring, were included in that batch, we had a hunch that they were going to go from pre-order pricing of around $100 to $200 to maybe $300, depending on what you were t- where you were looking at prices to something higher. And given what has happened with the one ring over the last couple of weeks where it has posted up as a EDH mega staple and a modern mega staple and has even been popping up in legacy lists, it's obviously a cube card, etc. The card has basically been a rocket ship where a lot of the versions, even the ones that are super super common have doubled in price. Now, early on in that process, I went hunting for foreign copy specifically japanese or german over on card market and i managed to find i think within the first couple days of the pre-release a german foil extended art in and around 300 euros so with shipping etc getting it to one of my uh bounce shipping depots cost me about 350 us 375 maybe and i was looking for an out on that card sometime in the next six months on the basis that Yes, the card is extremely good, but maybe it's too good. Maybe it's, it's going to get banned in modern. Probably not any time between now and November, because we, <laughs> we, we, can, we all kind of suspect that there are fresh copies of the card coming in the holiday CBs, so it seems like a bit of a stretch to put it on the banned list, especially since we have a modern Pro Tour coming up in a month. We don't know exactly what's going to happen there and whether it's going to be dominant or just a reasonable presence. But still seemed like a bit of a risk to hold it for the long term, especially if there's a fancier version coming out that may or may not be more rare in in that holiday release. So, of course, as I normally would be and did with the serialized cards out of March of the Machine, I'm looking for a quick flip. So, having once I got the card in the hands of my bounce shipping partner and we took some photos of it, it looked like it was in very, very good shape, like probably gradable and so i decided i think it was on friday of last week to get it up on ebay and i put it up at 248888 with a as the buy it now but with a best offer turned on assuming that i would probably be able to settle the card somewhere between 1250 and 2000 on the basis that other versions of the card were going for 1, $1,100, 1200 depending on what platform you're talking about, whether we're looking at Facebook or eBay or whatever. And it really felt like the card was red, red hot. All the streamers were running it as four ofs. We're seeing everything from Burn to Merfolk to Omnath for color and various aspiring spike brews running the card as a three or a four of. And it just felt completely dominant and felt like a very good time to be selling rare versions of the card. So I put this sky-high price up on eBay, and in part that was based on Haruyuya pricing, because they had, uh, I think, 50,000 yen put on the retail price for a Japanese foil extend art. And keep in mind, that would only come out of a sample pack out of a Japanese commander deck, of which there are far, far fewer than there are in the West, printed in English, because... Some people play EDH in Japan, but in terms of a percentage of Magic players that are interested in Commander versus the competitive formats, the two-player competitor formats in Magic, it's a far smaller percentage in Japan. So even more so than usual, the Japanese and German and, and French versions are going to be very, very rare. And even their buy list was at the equivalent of about 1350 to 1400 US. So I figured that... If I was going to post it to Facebook to the various serialized and high-end groups, I could probably aim pretty high. So originally, I was I was assuming I would just do the same thing as they did on eBay. I would post it at two thousand or twenty five hundred, and you know send me offers and just see what came in the door and then make decisions from there. And I think the first group I posted it to was the serialized group, and they don't have a requirement that you post a price. So I just said, hey, taking offers on this beautiful card, blah 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 blah. And had a couple discussions, but nobody that wasn't lowballing, so was, was still looking for, for a deal. Then I decided I would put it on the high-end group, and the first couple times I submitted it, I think it was Friday night, I screwed it up. I think I, I mentioned, hey, you're in good hands because I, I run MGG Price, and Facebook turned the MGG Price reference into a link, and that's against the rules there, so they rejected it, and I had to resubmit. I didn't get around to doing that until Saturday morning. And we were like ultra busy around the house getting ready to go up to the cottage. So I was rushing through a bunch of different tasks. And one of them was I wanted to get this thing posted on the high-end group so that I could p- potentially get it sold while I was gone over the weekend. And then when I was back in town to do this podcast, I would, in theory, ship it. So I got the card up on the high-end group and I originally submitted it at, again, the 248888 And the reason I use the 88 end numbers on almost all my pricing over on eBay is because it's nice round numbers. It has nothing to do with anything other than it being a marketing tactic where 88s are more pleasing to the mind than 99s. And I've been doing that for 10 years from, from when I was selling Transformers on forward. So submitted it at that price. But then about five minutes later, as we were easily within five or 10 minutes walking at the door, I was like, you know, when I bought the card on card market, it was the only copy available. But... I haven't looked at it for a few days, maybe additional copies have been posted. And indeed when I went to look at them, there was a couple of copies that were posted at I think 1,800 euros and 2,000 euros and a few beyond that, but there was also a couple of copies that were posted at I think a flat 1,000 euro, which is about 1,100 US or so. And I didn't want to go that low on my copies because I was hoping that those copies would get snapped off ahead of mine. And then leave me last man standing, the old Travis tactic. And so I figured I didn't want to overprice at the 2500 zone on the high-end group because that would probably just get utterly rejected. I didn't want to go to 1100 or or 1000 because I definitely wanted to put a premium on the German and or Japanese copies I might get my hands on this month. So I figured somewhere near the Japanese buy list price would be about right. And I knew that was pretty close to 1400 so since I was at 2488 and I was running out the door, I went ahead and lopped a one off the front of the price. So it was 248888. I just clicked on the price, erased the two, filled in a one, hit resubmit, got my stuff together, started going up to the cottage. Got somebody from Spain that pinged me, I think, almost right away, like within half an hour or something, wanting to talk about the card, but they never followed up. And then we got up to the cottage, we were unloading groceries and all that kind of thing keeping busy for a while. And then all of a sudden I realized my inbox was blowing up. So I started looking through the messages in growing horror, including a ping from one of the many vendors I talked to on occasion. who was like, dude, what the fuck? And sent me a screenshot of my post. And I said, what's the problem? And he's like 1488.88 question mark. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And they're like, for a German card question mark. And then it finally clicked together that I'm an absolute idiot, because apparently 88 is already a number of significance for Nazis, and 14 is some other right-wing reference to a phrase of 14 words or something. I've since looked it up and am up to speed, but I didn't at all put any of this together in the moment. And maybe if I had been moving slower and sitting at my desk for a longer period of time... Going thing, through things in a more measured fashion, I would have figured out that German cards, you probably had to be a little more careful how you price them. But the honest truth is, I just had no clue. I was just on the fly, posted a price, ran out the door, and then I'm I'm just clustered. <laughs> so I realized that the post has been taken down on Facebook, and I've been banned from the high-end group. So I reach out to the admins, and I've been talking to them more or less ever since. And... I think the important part here is to assert that I have no problem with what they did. You've been in our Discord a long time. You'll be the first to uh, confirm that had somebody posted this in our Discord, either myself or one of the other mods for sure would have taken it down once it got flagged. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, I, I think if somebody doesn't know you and they oh, this is all they see, I think, honestly, like having a... Brash reaction is a good thing, right? Like if, if this is all you see and you don't know the person, of course you are going to want to raise the flags because this is not the type of content you want kind of on public platforms. That said, I mean we're trading messages all the time in the Discord and on Twitter and everything like that. And I think if anyone looks at your Twitter timeline over the next over the last year, year and a half, it will be abundantly clear where you are in all of these type of issues, and it is about the polar opposite of anything like this. Yeah,
0: I mean that is the thing, is that I've spent most of my life as a left wing activist uh of sorts. In college, I was the first straight president of the gay society, the biggest university in the country, volunteered for any number of different left wing causes. We we go to marches about the environment with the kid and so on and so forth. I mean this is anthonema to my belief system and I'm mortified to be associated. with Like, <laughs> I got messages multiple times since the weekend, uh, of people hitting me up in Twitter DMs, uh, with things that are along the lines of you Nazi fuck, get out of our hobby. You're dead to me and stuff like that. And <laughs> I did not have James is a Nazi on my bingo card for 2023. I'll say
1: that much. I mean, that's one of the things about the internet, right? Things take off things people see everything you know i think my kid has just went to college and you do something knowingly or unknowingly and it gets everywhere and sometimes that's a good thing but a lot of times i mean it takes something out of context that blows up and you know it is the world we live in but you know I, I think the the way i look at this is you know if anything maybe the good to come out of it is others that are listening to this podcast will know this type of speech is out there right i didn't know that i, I no clue um, and I would, I, you know, I price all of my cards on TCG player at 0.89. So apparently I'm, I'm one cent off from something I shouldn't be looking at and I would have never known. Right. And I think a lot of people are out there in the same boat. And so. Yeah. I think if it, I think if I had
0: posted at 1588, right. Right. It probably yeah, yeah. would have slid right past, of course, but because it was 1488.88, yep. I, you know, I completely get how it raised red flags for people. Yep. And the thing is that even though anyone close to me knows unequivocally that I would, not only would I not signal Nazis secretly, first of all, it's stupid. Like, why would you even be doing that in the high-end group? What, what are you trying to achieve? But I would not even make that joke, right? Like, we don't even allow memes of any significance in our Discord. Yeah, <laughs> we, we certainly don't allow secret signaling of hate speech. And it's not the kind of thing I would ever find amusing. It's, it's the kind of thing I would shut down. So, I mean, I'm in full support of the mods who who took it down. I understand the ban. I hope I will be able to overturn it by providing ample evidence that that is not who I am in any way, shape, or form. But I understand that they've got to, you know, ultimately, the safety of a community outweighs the desires of a single person, yeah. right? And we have executed bans in our own community and Discord many times on that principle. Now, if somebody came back to me and they had ample evidence to the contrary, we would certainly look it over, as I'm hoping they will for me. But a lot of the time, you know, 99 times out of 100, if somebody made that signal, they intended to. So it's, I get how it is. It stretches credulity for me to claim that it was a German card with this number and I had no idea. But that is, in fact, what happened not, not that I couldn't have figured it out with more time, because I haven't exposed the premise in social media, you know, during the Trump era of that these numbers and phrases float around. It's just not front of mind for me, right? Like, I'm not living day to day memorizing Nazi numerology. Right. So it's just, I, I, just, I regret it wholeheartedly. I apologize to everybody. And the only final point I will make is this. Because some people came out on Twitter in support saying it's ridiculous that people would comment on a price you chose like it means anything, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, I don't agree with that. And the reason I don't agree with that is because there is so much downside to not protecting a community to that kind of speech, to not – and so much upside in in providing the proper defense from allowing – that potential subculture to infiltrate your community, that it is actually 100% worth flagging. It's worth at least temporarily banning the person involved and, you know, pending discussions. And I I don't think it's about anybody being, quote-unquote, a snowflake or overly sensitive. I think that the severity of the groups that that hate speech is associated with is so severe and so persistent. I mean, this is bullshit that the world has been dealing with for basically forever, under various guises, and over the last hundred years or so, basically consistently. You know, ever since World War Two and and the rise of the Reich. So, I get it. I mean, it's it's not something tri- to trivialize. And yeah, I stepped in a big pile of shit, and I am super sorry.
1: Short short and sweets are the best type of apologies. So, way to be clear and concise about it. All right, moving on. What is on our agenda this week? All right, so we have our normal segments this week. Uh, segment one, we're going to start with our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. After that, we're going to move on to segment two, talk about the top movers of the week, and discuss why we think these cards saw significant gains. Then on to segment three, our cards to watch, where we will discuss the cards we have our eyes on at the moment. But with that, why don't we move into the MTGO Metagame Week in Review.
0: Looking at this modern challenge from July 2nd, Continuing to see all sorts of copies of the One Ring, card we just cannot escape, apparently. Four-color Omnath took this one down, four copies in that list. Jeskai Breach was in second with two copies. Black-green Yawgmoth was in fourth place with four copies. And we also had a Death Shadow build in third place with three Orcish Bowmasters, the other big card from Lord of the Rings for Modern. And that card also showed up in the most interesting list, uh, from this top 8, which is Golgari Scam on the back of Grief and Endurance instead of Solitude Fury or Grief and Solitude, as we have seen in most scam lists lately. These, this deck was also running 3 copies of Invasion of Ikoria. That is a pretty spicy list.
1: Mm-hmm. And It's fetching up the 1 of Vampire Hexmage because, of course, Invasion of Ikoria, uh, when it comes in you search for your... Um... It's a two green and X when it comes into play. Search your library or graveyard for a non-human creature card with the melee value X or less. Put it into the battlefield, shuffle your library. So you're using that. At four mana to grab your vampire hexmage, and then immediately taking off all the counters of evasion of Icoria to have you know the backside, which is a monstrosity. It's a eight eight uh, reach dinosaur legendary, and then all of your uh, non-human creatures may have their combat damage assigned as though they weren't blocked. And so you know just a straight value there. Um, you know you don't have you have guys, which are big but don't have trample. Um, looking through the list i mean that's the big one and then also of course your big orcish army that you're building over time that might need that type of ability um, but this is this is almost very jundy right there's nothing here that's um extremely ridiculous it's just thought seizes fatal pushes good creatures uh, pulling out you know a little bit of a, a toolbox with the invasion of Ikoria, probably typically grabbing vampire hex mage but also maybe an Orcish. I think I can grab Orcish Bowmaster, right? I don't know if you'd want to, but seems like it grab that. What the Vex Hexmage is actually for, in addition to
0: gets flipping into Zalortha so that your Tarmagoifs, etc., effectively have trample because they can't their damage is dealt automatically. Right. Is removing the counters off somebody else's one ring so that you can reset it and they can't draw as many cards. Cause the way the the one ring games tend to pivot is when the ring can start drawing three or four cards over right. three cards and then four cards the turn after. Now they've just, you know, they're, they're,
1: they probably have 12 cards or something in hand. Right.
0: And you're in big trouble.
1: So I agree, but they want to step farther and they have a one of haywire might. So they're searching up the haywire might and popping it and killing, exiling the one ring because that gets around indestructibility. Also good. And,
0: and typically good against things like hammer time anyway. Right. And the other thing that's good here about endurance over some other elemental. Is that Living End has been really big in the meta lately? Uh, there was yep. a, a graphic I sent you that somebody had calculated on Twitter uh, earlier today that was looking at all the top eights over the last two weeks since Lord of the Rings was included,
1: and I think Living End was the top deck. Yeah, Living End's great. I mean, it got big additions. the 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 cyclers for one that are a little bit bigger and a little lower costs for cycling is it's just such a massive incremental upgrade for that deck. Finishing up this
0: top eight, we had Hammer Time, Blue-White Control, and Amulet Titan. Notably, neither of the last two, the Control List or the Titan List, running uh, the one ring. Although it is it is tough to know whether people are running optimized lists right now on Magic Online, because the ring is still very expensive there, right? It
1: is crazy expensive. So it topped out at around 140 tickets. Uh, so, <laughs> so about $125 US um, dollars, 560 and tickets crazy. a playset yeah. is definitely
0: going to affect which list you submit.
1: Yeah, and even this this past weekend, so it hadn't really been resolved. It's still about a hundred tickets. Uh, but Magic Online has said they are issuing, and it's now out a uh, all access pass, which is twenty five dollars for. Th- two and a half, three weeks, something like that, of every card in Magic Online. And so uh, essentially what that should do is kind of, at least in the short term, create the price of these type of cards uh, because, you know, people won't need them, they'll sell their very expensive versions and then buy back in a few weeks later. But in the meantime, people will be drafting the set that whole time. And so it should get a little bit more supply into the ecosystem, a little bit more open chests, And then I would guess, you know, one ring in three weeks after this is done, I would bet around 60 tickets, 50 tickets. I mean, still expensive, but not as, you know, prohibitive as it is now, because even if you rent cards, you couldn't get them. They literally didn't have them in stock because the rental companies, um, a mixture of didn't want to pay the prices, but also there just literally weren't enough to buy. They were going out of stock pretty often. So, yeah, I agree. I think some of this is people playing with what they can get access to and can afford. So would you figure it's a short sell opportunity if somebody's holding a place it that they don't actually need sell into current pricing and then and then buy them back at the low yeah, absolutely. So I was actually on one of my picks. So we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but that is uh, one of the things that we need that anyone doing Magic Online needs to do is kind of look at their uh, Lord of the Rings cards. And if you have One Ring or even Bowmaster for that that matter, you know, get rid of them, buy them back in a couple weeks because they they should go down in price, right? I mean, this is the highest things have been. This is like Regavan levels back when Modern Horizons two came out. Uh, but the difference between Regavan, for example, and the One Ring is that when Regavan came out those packs were costed much higher than the Lord of the Rings packs. And so people kind of stopped drafting early because... It was so expensive that people just, the, the value wasn't there. The Lord of the Ring ones, they've they learned that lesson. They've lowered the pack prices significantly. And so now if you go on and draft, you're actually usually about breaking even on value. It's just very hit or miss because all of the value is in the ring and in the Bowmaster and everything else, uh, including the, the Mana Dork that's amazing that I talked about recently. Um is only i think that one's like five ticks and that's delighted sort of number halfling three. delighted halfling yeah so it's kind of like you hit those two you're doing pretty well otherwise you know you're not getting much back so it's it's boomer bust but the people that like grinding on online that's not going to stop them right they're just going to grind they have 65 percent win rates and they were just going to dominate for the next three weeks pump another 100 200 copies of the wandering into the system and bring down that price over time
0: good info now, over in the Pioneer Last Chance, we have this Boros uh, Pia Nalar Console of Revival deck that took the format by storm. Basically, a brand new list in this format that has popped up in the last couple weeks as people have continued to experiment with Aftermath cards and have found a diamond in the rough. Boros Nalar was both 1st and 8th in this Pioneer Last Chance Qualifier, that's full 4 copies of PNLR, Console of Revival. This is the 2-3 Human Artificer for red and a white that gives Stopter's haste, and whenever you play a land from exile or cast a spell from exile, you create a 1-1 colorless Stopter artifact creature token with flying. Reckless Impulse and Ren's Resolve both provide eight different ways in your deck to be playing cards out of exile. You get another four from Showdown of the Scalds, which is the forecasting cost saga from Kaldheim that exiles the top four cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You can play those cards. Very, very cool list here.
1: Yeah, I mean, Pioneer needs more type of fast burn decks that punish you for messing around. Um, so it's good to see. I think it's healthy for the format. They had it for a while with, um, you know, some of the more braille, uh, you know, target your creatures, build up uh, kind of feather type of decks, but those have went away largely. So I hope this sticks around. I think it's good um, a litmus test for the format where, you know, if you're you're starting to mess around too much and doing too much value, you're just going to get punished. And that's what this is all about. We've also got Blue-White Control in second. Blue-Red Drake with four Ledger Shredder, for uh,
0: Crackling Drake, and four Fable of the Mirror Breaker in third. Lotus Field in fourth, and then Black-Red Sacrifice in fifth, sixth, and seventh. Another deck that has been doing very
1: well in this format. Yeah, taken over from the regular uh, Black-Red, it seems. I mean, that, I, I just don't see it as much anymore. Seems like the superior deck of the two versions.
0: Got it. Moving on over to top paper movers, we've got Sauron the Dark Lord, top commander of the week on EDH Rec, and as a result, people went after some of the premium versions. Foils from the main Lord of the Rings set pushed up from $15 to $27, 80% gains there. We also have one with the multiverse foil extended art out of Brothers War collector boosters going 10 to 18 Not
1: sure I have clocked what specifically has pushed that up over the top. No, and this moved originally when it came out. It, it did a big jump as well. Um, and, and at that time, I shook my head and I shake my head here. I don't I don't see it. I don't see it.
0: People, It looks like people are playing it in Sirdan, the Shipwright, and Gandalf, Westward Voyager. But, I mean, not to any dramatic extent. Maybe there's a rogue list we've missed somewhere along the way that ex- helps explain that one. We do have Cliff's pick from a, a few weeks back. Uh, for the food decks in EDH, Trail of Crumbs, Foils, of Drain, 350 to 650, 85% gains. That's getting pretty close to where he said it would get. And I can certainly confirm that playing the food deck, this is a key card in your mix of what is a very, very synergistic deck overall. The Nazgul foils and non-foils continue to charge higher as people are looking to build play sets. And I, th- I suspect that this is what's going on with these as mythic level or beyond uncommons is certainly going to influence Wizards' decision uh, decisions in future about product formulations because this has been a very interesting set of spikes. Nazgul copy number 335. Of course, there are nine variants of the card. Uh, Going 14 to 27 in foil, 92% gains. Uh, I like selling Nazgul at this price point. There will almost certainly be more of these in November as well.
1: Well, I think the contrast from this versus, um, was it Teferi where they did... The different colors that were basically the same art with different colors um slightly
0: slight like slightly, yeah, like colorblind slightly. people would not even have been yeah. able to tell because it was like variations on blues and like blue purples
1: right so you have those as a contrast as well as i mean look at the um, borderless uh or not the borders but like, like the unique art for some of the praetors right whereas unique art That was kind of standout and limited in quantity that really did well. And I think all of these show if you if you do multiple arts and it's just confusing and lame and no one wants it, it's going to tank. But if you do it right and you put time into it and you emphasize it, there is a there is room for this, right? People like this, but they hated kind of the small tweak, useless. We're just going to throw an extra type of versions just because. And so there are still collectors in magic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you got to have something to collect, not just something different. And so correct. I hope they leaned into this and realize if they do it right, there is a place to make a little bit more money and make people happy. We also have Lotho Corrupt Sheriff Extended Arts from the
0: LTR main set, $250 to $5. You get these Extended Arts in the collector booster packs. Uh, Aspiring Spike was running a modern brew with this the other day. Uh, that was very, very interesting. Kind of demonstrating there there are so many turns in modern where two spells get cast and sometimes you cast two and they cast two and i think the elementals have a lot to do with that because there's a lot of free spells in modern right now and i think that his brew only went three and two or something in that league but lotho has been an absolute standout in the edh games where we've played him recently because it's not monologue tax not only is it one less mana to get on the table but it also triggers when you cast two spells right? whereas monologue tax is you're entirely reliant on your opponents to voluntarily cast two spells into it and that difference is doesn't seem that big but it is pretty big i've seen lotho generate 5 10 15 treasures pretty easily never really tends to get targeted unless it gets caught up in a sweeper or an edh because it's just not it's an incremental value engine but not one that tends to scare people, right? They're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna spend their their point removal on other things, generally speaking. So Lotho ha- has I think been underestimated overall, but was included in the command zone, uh, you know, best cards to include in the '99 review that came out last week as well. So that may have had something to do with some of the movement. We also see uh, some cards moving because of Tom Bombadil, uh, one of the commanders that is getting built out of the Lord of the Rings set. Uh, of course it wants to play as many sagas as possible because that's what that commander is all about. So we have Kiora best the sea god out of Theros beyond death going five to eleven dollars just regular copies. I think foil extended arts have also made gains uh, and along that line we also have birth of the Imperium out of the 40k set going from a dollar to eight dollars. St- I still think these are like sell and get whatever you can because the surge foils of Birth of the Imperium are far more rare, but they are anchored hard at $4 right now because there's somebody with a hundred copies on TCG player. So with Tom Bombadil not being that, that high of a top commander, even in the last week, where I think we see him number five, which is pretty solid... It is above Shelob now, but below Aragorn and Sam and Frodo and Sauron. This feels like the prime time to exit. I do not want to be holding sagas on the basis of Tom six months from now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been—I haven't really tried this one out at all. But from what the conversations I've been hearing, I mean, it seems like it's relatively narrow. You know, I don't think it'll stick around as much as some of the others, and so I would probably sell as well.
0: One of the other cards that made a move here is the Tree Beard Gracious Host Extended Art. This has been an MVP in my food deck, which I've I think I've run ten times now in the last couple of weeks. It is two green white for a zero five with trample and ward two. When it enters the battlefield, you get two food tokens, and whenever you gain life, you put that many plus one plus one counters on target halfling or treefolk. That seems very limiting, right? Except right? The, the reality is you have like fifteen halflings. ...in your food deck in EDH... ...because they all are synergistic with each other... ...out of the cards that come from the LTR and LTC sets... ...and I have yet to play a tree beard ...that didn't immediately present a giant threat... ...somewhere on the board. And often... ...often the counters are going on... ...say Frodo... ...who normally you don't want... ...to let anything block... ...because uh, the... ...ring mechanic... ...being tempted by the ring makes him unblockable by bigger creatures. But one of the other ways you can get him through is to make him huge so they don't want to block. And whenever Frodo attacks, generally by the mid-game, you're both drawing a card and then drawing and discarding a card. So you basically draw two, discard one on every Frodo attack. So making him intimidating once they've got a bunch of tokens in play that could potentially block or they've got a a delighted halfling or something uh, is a good thing. And Treebeard having Ward 2 is helpful. You can put the counters on Treebeard and just start swinging. If you've got a whole bunch of food in play and Sam's out and you can sack them very cheaply for one mana apiece, you can put 10 counters on something in a turn or something. It, it can get very out of control. Uh, and as a result, somebody decided to take a swipe at them. And I think they went after Foil Extended Arts 2 to $5. Is that true? Let me just double check that. I think it might have actually been non-Foil Extended Arts that went 2 to 5. Yeah, that's correct. We also have Cauldron Familiar out of Eldraine going 2 to $5, just regular copies. This is a combined set of pressures from the Black Red Sack deck doing very well in Pioneer. The food decks tend to run it in EDH. The Samwise Gamgee combo deck in Modern that's kind of lurking on the fringes uh, uses it. And you also see it in a bunch of the other food decks in modern uh, that use asmo etc so foils are now pushed all the way up into the mid 20s
1: uh,
0: so if they give us a secret layer foil of that card in the next six months that will certainly put some downward pressure perhaps on the originals but if they don't print this anywhere in the next year these foils could get very very pricey for uncommons
1: yeah i mean the un- I, i've been burned so many times on extended arts that are middling that.
0: but the thing is cauldron familiar is from is just is an uncommon so it has yeah. no extended art this is just a foil. that's true that's just regular yeah yeah. yeah yeah and it has no special version from anywhere else
1: right yeah yeah and the, i mean the the, the pioneer it's, it was hot for a while now it's taking a little bit of a break um i'm trying to think has the format been announced for the next cycle because now it's modern my guess is it might be either pioneer or standard next go around seems um, standard would be likely heading into the fall I Think right because it's new. New fall set um, should have been rotation, but won't be. But maybe bans. So so there's there's four
0: listings left of this card in foil, and they oh my start gosh. at twenty. They start at twenty four dollars. Total That's of crazy.
1: eleven copies left on TCG Player. I wish this happened. more I mean, if WotC didn't keep reprinting everything all the time, we could see more of this, right? I mean, it wasn't that far long ago we're having a twenty dollar foil uncommon you know it was that that big of a deal but here um it's surprising it's that a rarity, it's kind yeah. of made it, made it get there. it is a rare for culture familiar no it's an uncommon yeah i was gonna say it's uncommon yeah yeah i mean that's it's pretty rare these days yeah the the thing about
0: this is that when you want it in constructed you usually want all four Oh yeah, yeah. It's there's one or the other, yeah. Not not the kind of thing that ever shows up as right. a one of. And it's it's also it's not just rare to see it happen. It's rare for a card to go what four years now since Eldraine? Yeah. Without catching any reprint whatsoever, despite seeing relatively consistent play across multiple formats. Right. Um, so I mean, that, as you said, that's how you get here, <laughs> and, yeah. and we just don't do we just don't get there that we often. We just don't do that that, way. that
1: much. Also, you don't usually want. I mean the supply had to be pretty thin to get to this point because competitive players i mean some foil out their decks but pioneer players foiling out their decks like that that's not that many people relative to many of the other cards that we work on and so the, the I think Eldraine, I mean the supply issues there uh I mean the collector boosters were more limited which means supply of foils were more limited so this is this is pre like, Modern collector booster, where foils are everywhere, and so that's part of it, I think. Talisman of Dominance surge foils going two to six
0: dollars as people start to put additional pressure on the surge foils from forty k, and they slowly dry up on the various platforms. We also have Raise the Palisade out of L- the one of the LTC cards going two fifty to ten dollars. This is on the back, I guess, of it making some progress on the EDH rec lists for the lord of the rings commander cards where it is now up to the seventh most played card it's in three thousand decks and five percent of all blue decks so far tree beard is just ahead of it which explains why these two had been targeted i i would argue that farmer cotton probably is worth a look as well if you're into tree beard and ditto the gaffer because those are all three of those cards are kind of auto includes in the food decks Raise the Palisade. I'm I'm not that convinced on. Uh, it's it's three four in a blue for a sorcery that says choose a creature type. Return all creatures that aren't of the chosen type to their owners' hands. So if you're playing you know green blue merfolk, or you're playing blue black zombies or something, then this might do a lot of work. But if you look over a lot of the commanders that that are kind of top 20 right now. There aren't that many that would make really good use of this. So far, it's showed up in Blue-Green Elves builds out of Lord of the Rings, because you have Galadriel, various versions of Elrond, you have Arrestor, and Sirdan the Shipwright that could all make use of it. shield Shieldmaiden is, is all about humans. Aragorn also tends to have a bunch of humans. And then the Lord of the Nazgul would name Wraith, um with this card so i think that you know it's it's the the typal nature of a bunch of these recently built lord of the rings decks that have people looking at this card for the most part
1: yeah for now until we <laughs> move Get on together, to the know, next thing the i mean we got what commander decks in a month and then we have doctor who decks and it'll be pretty quick and we'll be back on Ixalan, Ixalan and
0: Eldraine in the fall as well. Yeah, yeah. lots well, still good to go for this year. Uh, we're on Magic Online, your area of speciality. We have Grim Monolith going 12 to 15 tickets, 25%, you said, on the back of Vintage. And
1: yeah, there, there's been a Paradoxal Outcome deck that basically puts in one ring and, you know, uses it to draw enough to combo off, and Grim Monolith's part of that. Nasty. Mm-hmm.
0: Grief out of MH2, 23 to 30 ticks, that's Living End, and a bunch of the other decks that are running it. We saw that green-black uh, scam list, and I've also seen white-black scam lists running around with a lot of grief lately, and of course, Black-Red Scam is a more established deck that also makes the usually has the full complement of griefs, and on the back of that, we have some motion there. Force of Negation out of Double Masters 2022 last seen, I guess, 19 ticks to 27 ticks, 42% gains there, and... That
1: is is that both played in Living End and good against Living End? It it is a four of in Living End. Um it, it's used to cuz their combo can go off instant speed, so they play their combo end of their end of your turn and then use force negation to back it up. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh and great and going back to grief, I mean that one, it is I mean it hasn't been talked about I think cuz it's been slow and incremental, but it went from at the end of May it was 11 tickets. And it spiked to almost forty by the end of June. So it shows you how much you know. All of these decks relying on grief have um, really made it quite the card. And on online, it's the most expensive card now for Modern Horizons two, which is unbelievable considering the, the amount of power in that set. Crazy. Thalia, Guardian of Thraben at a Vow,
0: uh, 0.08 ticks to 0.15. That's mono-white usage in Standard and Pioneer. We also have Ancient Imperiosaur out of Mom, 0.13 ticks to 0.27, 108% gains on the back of mostly Standard play. And then Invasion of Ixalan we saw show up in that Black Green Scam deck, and is also seeing uh, Standard play as well, going 0.18 ticks to 0.422% gains to cap our Magic Online list. That will take us on over to Cards to Watch, our final segment of the week. I guess I'm going to kick things off with a card that is undeniably a 10 of 10, but I've only marked it with a rating of a 7. I flagged motion on this card for the Pro Traders earlier today, but I'm still trying to work my head around whether I'm willing to take the plunge on this as a spec. And the card I'm talking about is the Foil Borderless Orcish Bowmasters. If you go on TCG Player right now and you run the filter on recent sales, you will see that this thing, compared to your average premium version of a card, this thing is an absolute rocket ship in sales, where it is moving something like 15 to 20 copies a day. That not, might not seem like much, but typically for a popular you know, foil extended art or borderless foil something something, you would expect to see maybe two to five copies a day move, even if it was doing well. To see 15, 20, 25 copies able to move per day says that the dominance of this card in Modern plus EDH is super, super high. This was the card that everybody flagged as being one of the best cards in the set right up front. It has proven that it is that good, and you know we saw it in multiple top eight decks in this Modern challenge that we reviewed above, and I have a suspicion that it is just going to post up as a, a staple in the format
1: for the foreseeable future. So uh, I'm on TCG player. It does not have a FOIL printing checkbox.
0: Yeah. So that's a that that's probably information worth flagging for people anyway. Whole oh, Now it thing. does.
1: I just reloaded it and yeah. now it showed up.
0: Yeah, so there is a bug that I've noticed on TCG Player lately where the FOIL checkbox disappears unless you reset the filters. Yeah. Sometimes yep. I have to go back to the homepage and start fresh and then it's it just mysteriously works. So I'm not sure what exactly is happening there, but <laughs>
1: Classic TCG um, Doesn't make it any easier for people to parse Which cards in Lord of the Rings actually have foils Right So you know I mean I think the question is Like wh- what does supply look like You know I know you've talked about supply Coming on the pipeline and things like that I just sold I just give you an example I sold um, for Jessica's Will For 80 bucks a pop uh, just the other day right? And that's a card that's already been reprinted Might be reprinted again um, And the, the base version is only now What like 15 bucks or something And selling those for 80 Out of you know pretty Reasonably supplied set um, And so you can do it right I mean, There's numerous examples That said jumping in at 45 Oh man these days With them reprinting things I would, I would cringe a little but I think the potential is definitely there 10 days ago was the day to actually make this move
0: because that's when it bottomed out around $32. Mm. And currently we're looking at more like $45. we are down to 58 listings, which is not hollowing out by any means. And keep in mind, there's still you know, cracking pressure being applied to this. Although I think that now that the one ring has been found, that I would be... I haven't seen any numbers to prove this, but my sense in talking to a lot of people over the last week is that cracking is falling off a cliff, right? People that are holding CBs are trying to flip them at a much more minimal profit just to get out because there are some very good pulls in the set, but it's very feast or famine. If you don't find a you know, serialized card or at least one of the rare soul rings and then some bow masters and some One Rings in your collector booster box, then you're very likely to be behind because the base price of those CVs is so much higher than the usual $200 versions that are available for standard sets. So if you're paying $400 US, you, you really have to open well to justify that instead of flipping flipping the sealed product. Now, that said, it... it in the world where this works out, here's how it probably works out. The card continues to infiltrate Modern to a greater and greater degree. It makes a very strong showing at the Pro Tour, but there's no band talk around the card like with the One Ring. And it goes from, say, something like $45 to 65 and then slowly succumbs to pressure as we move on with the Fall. That would be my guess. And so I think the only, you know, listeners who this spec is appropriate for are if you sell on tcg direct and you're going to get a premium because currently the lowest direct price is 55 not 45 so that that is encouraging um, in that particular circumstance or if you can out it on a the floor of a major tournament so for instance i would imagine just outside the front doors of pro tour barcelona a little sign that says "Orkish Bowmasters for such and such a price would probably do pretty well. However, pros can't really risk running foils in their deck unless the whole deck is foil. So your overall addressable market is a lot smaller. And in that circumstance, you might want to take a look at the borderless non-foils, perhaps. There's a... There's not that many more of those on TCG Player. In fact, there's less listings total. And those are about only 2 or $3 less, like 40 to 43 But I would imagine a playset of those at the front doors of Bar- Pro Tour Barcelona will probably be flippable at like $250 or something.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, Pro Tour is, what, three weeks away? Yeah. So this will continue. I mean, I think it'll continue to do well. I mean, it's a great card. It, the fact that it has Flash and is so versatile. I I think it's hard to go wrong. Um, the price point. I just I don't I don't trust. I mean, one of the things we'll get into here in in, in one of my picks is I don't trust Swatsy as far as I can throw them anymore. Um, and a card that has a buy-in of you know even the base version is 43 dollars. Oh, I just it 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 makes me just hesitant right um, the, and i think that buying, getting in and out quickly is the most important thing right and then you don't have to rely on watsy so the, the the other way that you can do that
0: with this card and play it smart is to leverage the buy list on tcg player
1: yeah if yeah. you're a
0: vendor on tcg player and you can set the buy list for this card at 35 or 38 or something i would imagine it's fairly competitive for those right yeah, now i'm
1: checking it right now i'll see what it is here in a second
0: looks like buy list market on foils is 24.
1: That's too uh, low. So, I mean, it looks like yeah, there's a Yeah, some gap. of these just haven't been updated, I think. I mean, if it's anywhere near 25 to 35, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, because like the border list right now, it has that high buy list at 20 bucks, which if you can get it for 20 bucks, all day. Yeah. All day. Yeah. Um, yeah, the buy lists look great. Maybe I'll have to throw something on there. We'll see. Usually the TCG player buy list. So if you are a high volume seller and TCG player, you can get access to their buy list. And in the past, it's been a very good entry point to cards, especially like medium term holds where you can get them, you know, 10, 20, 30% below market. So that even if you flip it right away, you're breaking even or making 10%. But long term, everything that goes up is profit rather than having to, you know, grow enough to make up for your fees and shipping. Uh, So it's been a, a very good tool. That said, I think a lot of the pro traders have said, you know, the margins are just getting less and less as the competition gets more and more. People keep automating and, you know, making their margins thinner to cause they can because they have computer support and scripts and codes and they're not manually doing things. So some of them, you know, it's been a little tight, but this one looks actually pretty, pretty plump right now.
0: So I'm going to update my, my actual call here to be the buy list around 35, assuming that that's possible, say 35 yeah. to, to get out near 50 or 55 and the retail 45 to 65 play might work as well but again you'd want to be selling on direct or you'd have access to a show floor beyond that those opportunities if you were just to do it as a speculator there's a high degree of risk because fairly confident you're getting another bow masters in november and that will be announced at vegas in september would be my guess Mm -hmm. and you don't you probably don't want to be holding a card that's getting this many printings in six months at
1: this high volume of print run. So speaking of um, secret layers, do you? Uh, you talked about it a little bit last week. I know I listened in, but do you have any thoughts on the uh, Middle Earth bundle? If there's going to be some secret, you know, either Bowmaster or One Ring in there? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like that's worthwhile. what that's what we talked about in the Discord, yeah, and then Cliff yeah. and I talked about it as well. Was
0: what if it's a terrible bundle because the One Ring? with the cartoon
1: art is what's in there. I mean that it would make sense to me if they shipped after it closed. But I don't think, I mean, well, so I guess I take it back. So it says release date, August 29th on the website. So maybe they are this time.
0: Well, no, as far as I know, they're, they're shipping right up front. As far as I know. And as far as I know as well. And so our assumption last cast was that if that's true, you don't need to rush right right like you just want to see what the bonus cards are in. it's also possible that the the bonus card is not good or it's medium but they put the cartoon ring in there as an ultra rare Mm, yeah like like they like they've done with persistent partitioners or whatever in which case wow those are going to be expensive
1: I like. I think it's fun, honestly. Because keep in mind, foil yeah.
0: extended arts just English foil extended arts are thousand dollars trading hands all day right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So going, I mean, I talk about reprints a lot. You know this. Um, yes. The the my my most recent example of an egregious reprint that should never happen is where is it? Let me find it because I can never even remember the name. Wheel of Misfortune. Sure. It is a. I think it's two dollars right now. It's never moved. Like. That's the type of card where. So I looked through um, because I was a big buyer of Commander Legends, the original booster boxes, because they had so much value. You look at the prior, you know, Battle Bond, right? Different era now, but Battle Bond went from you know, hundred, hundred twenty dollars boosters to two hundred pretty quickly, and now you look at Commander Legends, half of the set has been reprinted in, in just over two years, and all of the high value cards have well three been reprinted. three years for Commander Legends. Yeah. Uh, two and a half november two and a half yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um but like literally every top card has been reprinted and some of those were already reprints and you know this is this is just my most recent where I, you know I, I, that would that's what made me look it up as i saw the wheel of fortune i was like of all the cards in commander legends that i thought would be safe it would be the confusing card that no one knows what it actually does and they just like let somebody describe it to them and apparently that was not true <laughs>
0: So, I mean, that's what makes me a little surprised here, that you've got Urza's Saga as your pick here. You want to walk me through that one?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's a more, I mean, again, this section is called Cards to Watch, right? And, you know, we talked about this before cast, and, and you know, I think my initial thought was, well... I don't even think I want to throw anything out there into the universe because a Commander Legends is coming up first and foremost, and until Commander Le- or Commander Masters, excuse me, comes out, you shouldn't be buying anything, in my opinion, uh, other than something that, like could, Orc- that could show up there. Yeah, like Orcish Bowmaster not showing up, right? It just came out, but um, I, you know, anything that's even a year old at this point is is almost free game based on how we've seen WotC kind of interact with cards lately. So I wouldn't be buying anything until that whole you know release period is over that said you know under traditional rules this is a card that i would be looking at right uh, urza saga uh is a card that is in 187 000 decks right it's something everyone had their eyes on when it came out and even for the first year after but it was something that never got to breathe because modern horizons 2 has been in print the entire time Uh, And is never, you know, it stayed at basically 20 to 30 this entire two-year period. And now that it's out of print, that we're moving on, you know, Modern is getting a little bit of action here, and it's still a very big role player in all those decks. It should, under old rules, act like Force Negation did, you know, under Modern Horizons 1, where it went from, you know, staying around 20 to 30 for a long time, and then all of a sudden surging to you know 40 50 60 that's what should happen here that said yeah i don't know where watsy's going right i just don't and so i'm not confident enough to say you should go out and run and do this because it's been out for two and a half year or not two and a half years uh what a year and how long has modern horizons two Two years two years two years yeah two years i mean Watson shouldn't be touching this. They should let it get to be a seventy dollar card and then reprint into the ground and make everyone happy. That's what should happen. I don't think they'll let it, right? And if they won't let it on this type of card where, you know, it, it it should wait. It should be a premier card that's expensive that you 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 want to have as a chase card. Uh if it doesn't happen here, where does it happen? I'm not sure. So that's that's my thing. Where I you know, I think if it if things go like it should under normal Watsy two years ago circumstances i think this is a great pick uh under current circumstances i'm not sure honestly
0: i mean i think you've nailed it right the the inventory on this card is very deep they kept mh2 in print until just recently so it was in print for almost two years there are lots of copies floating around as a result and for this to be the successful spec that you've got listed here 24 25 to 40 for the non-foil regular versions it needs to stay out of print for a while and it could very easily show up in Commander Masters, like you said. So it's the kind of spec that you want on your watch list for when it gets squeezed out, potentially, of Commander Masters. Because it's much less likely to show up in a secret layer. Not impossible. They could choose to anchor a secret layer with it. Yep. But I feel like if they skip Commander Masters, then it probably ends up in one of the summer sets next year. That seems like their correct timing. And so... As with bowmasters, these are both risky opportunities that could make you a bunch of money. You just have to have your finger on the trigger at the right time, and and go at it from from the correct angle. Because for instance, it's worth flagging. Saga has made me money. Foils were down to in late August of twenty twenty one, the summer they came out. Foils got down to forty five after pre ordering as high as almost hundred, and they got from some from August to January they made it from forty five to eighty five. And right plenty of money was made there in, in a very yep. short period of time but then as they continue to appear on the market because they are not cb limited they can come out of draft and set booster boxes and so the foils kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and it never went out of print and by august of the following year they were back down to 53 now since then based on how cracking has fallen off for that set, where vendor just because something's in print doesn't mean it's in print at the same level right like if you print some send something to the printers four four times, or you release on a staggered schedule, the final release is a fraction the size of the original release. Right. Right. Like even the I think even the Lord of the Rings C B S near the holidays will probably be a smaller print run than the July version. They must they must fat assume a certain uh, fatigue on Lord of the Rings as a premise for product in their planning for the holiday. So these market foils when they got to their second low 53 or so in august of 2022 have since gotten up to about 70 again this past february and then they've fallen back off towards 60 just recently so they've already been through two boom bust cycles and regular copies can proceed in a similar fashion you know they've got ups and downs where they were 28 or so august 2021 they got up to 43 that february got all the way back down to 30 then they got back up to 40 money was made i mean a card like this that has super high volume and swings like that in a 10 dollars range is the bread and butter of the people that leverage buy list i mean that's you're going to make money on this card all day if you're buying it at buy list prices so it's an excellent pick Again, if it dodges a reprint, and it's just a question of what's going to happen with Commander Masters. Put it on your watch list and go from there.
1: Yep. and I'd say Asper Sentinel Asper Sentinel is in a similar position. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If it, if it dodges, that's one, I think, I don't know why, it just feels more like a secret lair type of card. Um, maybe because it's a creature rather than land. So I, I could see that. either or or both of these cards showing up in Commander Masters yep yep i could see them both showing up or neither and then if they get crunched out you know i think that's that's all the same conversation points apply to esper sentinel yep um i've been hedging you know i i still have some foil esper sentinels i sold some in advance of commander masters just in case uh, i've already made i've already made my money there i sold all my non-foils and i sold like half my foils and i'm up so it's fine either way
0: all right let's go over this sell call for the one ring on magic online that we alluded to earlier
1: yeah, so uh, you know, anyone that's listening that plays Magic Online. You know, this is a sell slash if you're uh, advanced, a short call on on the One Ring. So, uh, Magic Online, you know, all these these prices are predicated on people playing the card. Uh, that is. It is unlike paper where people don't buy something and put it in a binder. They buy something to play with it. And if it is very expensive and they're not playing with it, they are going to sell it to either buy other cards or draft, generally speaking. And so right now, as of tonight, which is we're recording on uh, Independence Day in the United States, uh, they launched a all-access all, you, all access pass for $25. You get every single card on Magic Online. What that means is people aren't going to want to hold $400 with the One Rings that they know other people aren't holding and are going to crash in price. And so if you own them, I definitely recommend selling your One Rings. And um, you know, if you want to get a little frisky considering you know renting and selling some One Rings uh, via the vendors that are available for that resource uh, is also another play that you could take. It has more risk than just selling your personal copies, uh, but it's something that uh, some people might do and might make a little bit of money on. Fair enough. We
0: finally have a listener or a pro trader selection this week. Uh, had some time to pull that together, so we did. Grand Slam breaks out of our Discord tables. Dreadhorde Invasion foils from War of the Spark to go four dollars to ten dollars if you're picking them up in the U.S. on TCG Player. There aren't many more than ten or fifteen copies at this in this four to ten dollar price range even available. And then over in Europe and Japan, they are much cheaper. You're talking about like somewhere between two and four euros total. Uh, to get your hands on some, and the reason you'd be interested in this is that Sauron has skyrocketed to be the top commander of the week right now, with 43,000 decks on EDH REC already running Dreadhorde Invasion from it being solid in zombie decks. Now you have additional pressure from Sauron, uh, who has, let's see, how many decks built in the last week? 1173, just ahead of Sam and Frodo. Sauron is a 7-6 for 3 and Grixis. Ward is sack a legendary artifact or legendary creature. So if you want to target this thing, you basically have to sack your commander a lot of the time, which nobody wants to do, because then it shuts down all their synergies. So it basically has hexproof a lot of the time. And whenever an opponent casts a spell, a mass orcs 1. Whenever an army you control deals combat damage to a player, the ring tempts you. And so... The Orc Armies, you're going to run all the Orc Army cards in Grixis that are popular in in Draft. And the Dreadhorde Invasion gives you a Zombie Army. And the nice thing about that is if you run the Zombie Army cards alongside the Orcish Army cards, then you can do a bunch of the tricks that you want to do with your armies on two separate army tokens. Which is a pretty good place to be. I mean, the more armies that
1: appear over time, the better that will be for everybody so is the ring tempts you can that only happen the three or four times four times okay
0: um but it turns out that that is really really good right so because on sauron there's an additional clause whenever the ring tempts you you may discard your hand if you do draw four cards right yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah. really hard to stay hell-bent in that position yeah. when whenever an army connects uh, the ring tempts you because you just have to have a bunch of unblockable conditions in your deck so that your armies keep hitting. The first ring condition is that your uh, ring bearer cannot be blocked by bigger creatures. So that makes it very hard for your army to be blocked. As your army grows, that becomes less valuable. But the second condition is that you draw and discard a card when your uh, army attacks if they're if they're ring bearing. And then the third uh, is that the if something blocks it, they have to sack it. And then the fourth is if it hits, then all opponents lose three life. And having played a ton of *Sam and Frodo*, where Frodo gets in a lot, I can tell you that once you get to level four, as long as you can tempt consistently, you are in very good position. And Sauron and Frodo, of all the cards that tempt, are, are of all the commanders that tempt, uh, are probably the easiest to pull this off with because of you know how consistently. Frodo tends to gain the three life when Sam is coordinating with all the other food production cards to make sure that you always gain three life before Frodo attacks. And ditto with Sauron, you know, getting those armies to connect. And then the other thing is that Black has access to Call of the Ring, for instance, where you just get tempted every, every turn anyway, you know, no matter what else you're doing. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just a very synergistic commander with all the other pieces that they provided in the Lord of the Rings sets and subsets.
1: Seems fun. I uh, I don't pride myself as being a big EDH player. To me, it seems uh, uninspiring, but I get why people want to have fun and be on theme. So more power to them, not my thing, but seems the, like it would work.
0: The other reason it's good is because there's only the one premium version.
1: Well, yeah, that's the and it's had several reprints of non-premium, so it's only the premium that is going up.
0: Yeah, War of the Spark was a pre-Booster Fun era set the last standard set before Eldraine kicked that era off. And so there are just regulars and foils and right. it could end up being a secret layer at some point. It's kind of like, it seems like a Halloween themed, a good Halloween themed secret layer. So you might see it this Halloween, but it's also the kind of card that could avoid a premium reprint for years. And in, in that case, just the, the underlying zombie demand in EDH, where it's like one of the most popular tribes. I think if you look at typal, uh, options in edh the most popular is dragon decks the second most popular is zombie decks with thirty-eight thousand reported so dreadhorde invasion already had the underlying demand
1: yeah and this was an indistra midnight hunt commander um so it did get a non-foil reprint um which i think is always a good thing i think when you have one foil version because it just gets more eyes on the card it keeps it relevant and it keeps people knowing that it's out there if they didn't play war of the spark um and they want to eventually upgrade they only have one option
0: it's actually the the reprint methodology that I think makes the most sense for Magic is mm-hmm. where the collector versions of cards are allowed to get more expensive. But you give us a bunch of non-foil reprints over the same time period. Like, I, would, I, I wouldn't be upset at all to see them reprint non-foil versions of the ring in the holiday set and not give us any extra foils. Now, we know they're not going to do that because they want that set to sell. So they're going to give us surge foil of the one ring or something. But... There's a lot to be said for the version where collector versions are allowed to float very very high, very fast, and regular versions are kept in print more or less consistently.
1: Yep, yeah, they go the opposite way and give us two Regavans vans uh, <laughs> two new Regavans within a year. <laughs>
0: All right, you can uh, go ahead and tell folks where they can find you online, my friend.
1: Yeah, folks can find me online mostly on Twitter as well as in the Discord, uh, OkoAssassin on Twitter. How about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at mggcritic as well as
0: via my occasional articles on mggprice.com and my constant haunting of the pro trader Discord where I certainly assure all of our listeners I am fighting the good fight for everybody to be nice to each other pretty much all the time. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out mggprice.com ProTrader as a service if you want to see uh, just how great everyone is to each other in this service. You can pay twenty nine ninety nine a month or one hundred nine ninety nine per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will
1: drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best of Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of this episode, James. Really appreciate the discussion and being invited back once again.
0: Great to have you back, and we will see you one more week next week as Cliff continues to be on vacation. So I will thank you for today, Derek. We will see you uh, next Tuesday and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.